Hello and welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we discuss canon, legends, and beyond. And this week we will be discussing Star Wars Thrawn Ascendancy, Book 1, Chaos Rising, which is a very long name, by Timothy Zahn. My name is Beth Van Dusen, and of course I'm joined as always by my co-hosts Ryan Schweck and Chad J. Schock. So over to you, Chad. This is just your reminder that this is a book club and not a review show. We're going to spoil this book, so we're going to assume you've either done the reading or don't care about spoilers. We also may spoil literally anything else that has to do with Star Wars, so this has been your spoiler warning. Ryan, any news? It's been slow lately. You know, when I went to look, there was surprisingly more news than I thought. You know, as we record this, we're on the eve almost of a week away from The Mandalorian finally coming out. I know there's been more news about The Mandalorian. I'm purposely staying away from all of it. So I didn't even watch the second trailer. I did not either. So there could be stuff. Who knows? By the time this comes out, we'll have already all watched The Mandalorian. So right. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Other Disney Plus news, Obi-Wan has screen tested. Ewan McGregor did his screen tests at the vault. You know, the big screen that The Mandalorian is filmed in. So... Kind of the theory that they were going to use it for the other shows seems to be coming true. Makes sense. They currently are saying they are on track to start filming in March. So it's going to happen. You know, if people thought it was going to be delayed more, be canceled, but they are now screen testing and running the vault. So hopefully we will get that sometime next year. I'll believe it when I'm watching it. Yep. They also have put up that Andor, which is the first time I think I've seen the name. Yeah, I don't think they've announced the name. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be filming at Pinewood, and stuff is being constructed. So, wow. Yeah, and the names that have been released, it's Star Wars Andor. So kind of like how it's Star Wars The Mandalorian, it'll be Star Wars Andor. Andor. Hmm. When you first said it, I thought you were talking about Ewoks. Yeah, it, it <laughs> took me a second when I read it. I, I thought was that like, too. Star Wars Andor, and I was like, oh, Cassian. Because I want, I, want, I want Star Wars Andor. I'll take that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Exciting filming news. So apparently in Scotland, they will be location shooting in the next couple of weeks. Just some like background shots, which I imagine is going to be for some CGI for the next Star Wars movie. They have not confirmed which movie it is. Most people think it's the Taki Watiti movie. That means it's closer than we thought as far as them filming that thing. I gotta imagine, I mean... We haven't heard about anything else. We got to imagine that that's the first yeah. one up, right? I mean, we haven't heard anything about the Ryan Johnson movies, if they're even no. still happening. Supposedly they are. Mice and Benioff are out. Yeah. That would make sense that that's the next one. But sooner is, I think, maybe overstating it, though. Yeah. <laughs> it's still going to be 2023 or something. Oh, at least. But it's a, with those three things starting to film. Oh, and they announced that Mandalorian Season 3 will film early next year. So they're moving on that too. Uh, So Disney seems to be back to full force Star Wars after kind of backing up a little bit and not filming or kind of deciding what they want to do. And, you know, Disney had that announcement basically during their investors meeting that streaming is now all of Disney's focus and that's what they are going to move towards. So, you know, I think we've talked before that TV is the future of Star Wars, and it's playing out just like that. I mean, The Mandalorian not won Emmys. 
was nominated for a ton of them. I, I don't think they have any reason not to think that TV is a good idea for them. Yeah, absolutely. And then our, our final bit of news in a recurring segment of my ever growing toy struggles. Oh, <laughs> So today, today was awesome. Got my exclusive armor, which looks great. Sorry to listeners, it sold out in like four minutes. So if you got one, you know, it's way better than the one on the shelf. And then I got my best car, Mandalorian. But if you listen to the main cast, and we may have talked about it on here, Walmart put out these exclusive Clone Wars figures from Season 7. Everybody's very excited. It's like two Mandalorians and Ahsoka and a clone trooper with the Ahsoka paint. So everybody pre-ordered these things. Me, Dave, we've all talked about, man, Walmart's really getting these pre-orders right. Walmart got us again. (laughs) So stupid old Walmart delayed everybody's pre-orders and in some cases is canceling them. At the same time, is putting giant Star Wars. You know, when you go into Walmart, they have those big boxes in the middle with toys in them. Yeah. All of a sudden, there's now these big boxes with all the figures in it. So it is a mad dash to find the Clone Wars figures. Listeners, go out and try to find them. I've seen them in pictures. They look amazing. But stupid Walmart shouldn't get any exclusive ever again. But I'd have to go into a Walmart is what you're telling me. I went to six Walmarts today. <laughs> I'm trying to find these stupid things. All right. So for our book today, we've decided to talk a little bit more about Timothy Zahn, who, I mean, I think it's fair to say he's like the godfather of the extended universe. Um, But he's done a lot more than just heir to the empire. So what do y'all think about Zahn overall and his, uh, I guess, contribution to the Star Wars mythos? Well, he's got, a great Star Wars voice. And Timothy Zahn was actually the first person I ever got to interview as media at Dragon Con. And it was a year after Scoundrels had come out. And I don't remember thinking that that was the greatest book. And he even admitted it was Star Wars meets Ocean's Eleven. It was just a heist book. But I did mention that the he does such a great job at capturing the voices of people we know from movies And he told me it was because when his son was four or five, they discovered that if he'd seen a movie enough times, they could just record an audio track like on a tape deck, record the audio from a movie, play it in the car, and the kids would be totally happy just listening to the movie in the car for a couple hours. So he's listened to the Star Wars movies more times than he's actually seen them, and I think that that is where he gets some of his great Star Wars voice from is because he really knows those characters that well. Look, when you look at the architects of Star Wars, like he's top five, at least right. As far as building, you know, obviously with Lucas first and Filoni second, you say he's not just heir to the empire and that's true, but heir to the empire was a big bang. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And changed, really changed everything for Star Wars fans. And I think he's consistently been, I agree with you, some of the books, he has several books that aren't part of that, that are not Thrawn related. But, and they they don't seem to have as much zing to them, honestly. But I think he, he brings, oddly enough, a little bit of a, a little bit of grown up to Star Wars fiction. 
Like, I mean, not not just in the sense that like when I when I read his books, I feel like I'm reading a book. I feel like I'm reading like a best-selling novel. And they're really well written. You're right, Beth. He totally has the voices of the characters down. But he also has some really big ideas of his own that he's able to blend in well with what what exists without he was able to do i think a great job of not getting in lucas's way at all when well, it came down he, to frequent time he seems to do a lot better with his writing you know if you look at the thrawn trilogy when there's nothing else interfering it's kind of a blank canvas um and even this book that we're going to talk about tonight where he's kind of free to do what he wants to versus the other book even like the last thrawn trilogy where he's kind of talked about how he was confined by Disney and what he could do. And his work kind of suffers then. Yeah. Those books felt like licensed books and they were fine, but heir to the empire and outbound flight, which is probably my favorite of his books. Don't feel that way. They feel, they feel like this is a man who loves what he, the story that he's telling is loving the characters that he's writing about both new and old. And, when he gets, he's not always great, but when he's great, he's like the best of the bunch. <laughs> when he's but even he's even great. the least even the least great Timothy Zahn book is still five hundred times better than something like Freefall. Are we gonna pick on Freefall again? All right, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I fall. I, I realized that I just I realized after we recorded that I follow at follow Alex Segura on Twitter. Uh oh. Oops. Sorry, I won't tag him. I think out of all the writers, now some of the newer writers are really good at this too, but Zahn's interaction with the fans is more significant than a lot of the writers also. I don't even know what James Luciano looks like. Nope. Yeah, and I've seen him speak before. Yeah, like you show me a picture of Zahn, I know who he is. And he, when you see him speak on panels, he is very engaged with the fans he always takes pictures with them especially if you dress as thrawn you will get a picture with him he will come out into the audience to take a picture with you or mara too probably yeah but i think he's kind of more involved too in the 501st you know he's i think they make a lot of them honorary members but he does stuff with them no he's a star wars guy now we should say he's written a lot of other books that aren't star wars and i'm ashamed to say i haven't read any of them have you have you ever have you ever read a non Star Wars Timothy Zahn book? No, and I feel I felt really bad about that at the time because he was there at DragonCon plugging his new series of it was some kind of crime. It might have been a military. I see. I don't even know what it was, but it was a new series that had nothing to do with Star Wars. And I was just like, congratulations on this new thing that you've written that I don't know anything about. Let's talk <laughs> about Star Wars. It's like whenever George R. R. Martin starts promoting wild cards stuff again, and you're just like, <laughs> shut up, old man. Dude, I get it. You're trying to bring back this thing that like didn't do so well before you were like super rich and famous. Now you're trying to bring it back, but it's like nobody it's not what people are here for right now, George. I I have never have I met him. Yeah, I met him once at a con years ago. Didn't really have a significant conversation with him. I just got him to sign my um original Heir to the Empire trilogy hardbacks. But he he seems to be one of us, at least to an extent. You know, I don't think he's reading every Star Wars book that comes out. And I don't think he's, you know, cruising Wikipedia at three in the morning just for fun. But he definitely feels like he loves the world. He loves the characters. But also, I think he has 
contributed so much, especially going back to, back to 92. All we had were three movies. Five, if you count the Ewok movies. But all we had were three movies. I mean, I think he, he did an amazing job of helping us fill in this world and has continued to do so. And even the stuff, even his stuff that has been jettisoned, some of the DNA, the building blocks of the universe that he helped create are still there. Well, and it's the first stuff Disney brought back. And Thrawn was the first character that, that they brought out of that. Yeah. That they brought and I'm through. certain at the time I talked to him, he knew and just wasn't allowed to say anything about it. But he was telling me, like, if Disney ever asked, he's got ways for them to get Mara Jade into the new canon. He's already thought about it. Oh, he's yeah, got he's plans. Already. Oh, of course he does. I mean, I'm not so sure they're going to want Mara Jade. They probably won't, but it's nice to know that he's already got plans for it and thought about it. If somebody calls him up, he can just be like, yeah, so here's what you do. I mean, if there would have been one expanded universe character that I would have said, okay, that you could bring into the new canon, Thrawn would be the would be the one. He's the most iconic Star Wars character that had never been animated or Mm -hmm. given a voice for a guy who originally only lived in three books, I guess, four, if you count Outbound Flight. He, I want. That's one question I would like to ask him. These honest. Does he regret the end of Last Command? Does he regret killing him off? Because the next books he wrote after that were what Visions, Spectre of the Past, and Visions of the Future, mm-hmm. which were basically books where Luke and Mara Jade. There was, if I remember correctly, there were rumors that Thrawn was still alive, and they were trying to find out if Thrawn was still alive. And it turns out he wasn't, but it still ended up being books about Thrawn. <laughs> so he, it was almost like he was trying to keep him alive as a villain longer. Well, to be fair, I like the way uh, Thrawn goes out in the original books, but I don't, I don't think he predicted how much people loved, uh, would love the character. And he probably could have kept going for a little long, while longer than that. And he, as soon as he killed him off, he probably went, oops, that was the best character. <laughs> how am I going to get myself out of this? Cause I want to keep writing this character. Yeah. And so he wrote a book where, where, Everyone thinks he's alive, but he's not. But then Outbound Flight, I think, is a great book. Outbound Flight is his first foray into the Clone Wars era, right? Or prequel yeah. Wars era, into the prequel era. Well, and it's got a real live Jorah Sabaoth rather than like the crazy clone. Yeah, he's got one less balance. Which I thought was interesting. But I screwed up and I got an audible version of Outbound Flight, not realizing that 99% of the old Star Wars books, the books that are all now legends, but the real old ones, they're all abridged on Audible. Yeah, that's that's weird. To me. So I traded wow. all those in. And if I want to read them, I'm just going to actually buy copies of them rather than try to listen to them. Because if you've written a book that should take me nine hours to listen to, and I'm only listening to four hours of book, I'm missing a bunch. Uh, in my office, I have you know a couple of shelves of Star Wars stuff, shockingly, but I only have like one shelf of novels because I have moved to Kindle, and also I just have a limited amount, limited amount of space. I have some in storage, but but I have a bunch of I have a hardbacks on a shelf, and I have all the novelizations for for all the movies, and I the one thing that I do have consistent have in there, even though they're no longer canon is I have the Heir to the Empire series. I have Outbound Flight. I have Timothy Zahn novels on my shelf. Um, so to me, it, it, the two people whose Legends novels I consistently keep on my shelf are Timothy Zahn and James Lucino. Those are the two people who have, who are from Legends that I am most likely wanting to go back and read again. 
and most want to, I guess, have on display. Because I think they represent the best of that era of Star Wars novel writing. I don't think Zahn is unimpeachable. Allegiance and choices of one, I thought were fine. I didn't love them. I appreciated him making non-Thrawn books. We can also talk about his um, decision to make his most iconic, super smart Sherlock Holmes and space character rhyme with his name, <laughs> which seems suspicious. And actually very frustrating when you're trying to talk about the two of them together. Yes. And, and the problem is you have to. <laughs> he made him. So it is. Right. Yeah, it is weird. Um, and yeah, he created. Mara Jade, but not only Mara Jade, he 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 opened us up to the idea of these the criminal more criminal organizations in the galaxy, obviously, um Talon Card and these characters that have not made the transition yet, but that you easily see could show up in any kind of project along the way in a different version. But I think the power of him and the recognition, I think that probably has a lot to do with Filoni too, but the recognition that Thrawn is the reason why we probably still have Star Wars books now. Yeah. And as we're going to talk about with this book, he can still write. Absolutely. Well, let's get into our book of the week. All right. Start us off. I just finished it this morning. Oh, so it's fresh in your head. <laughs> so a long time ago, beyond a galaxy far, far away. If that opening doesn't get you excited, then you are listening to the wrong show. It, <laughs> it's, the back, it's the back of the hardback too a long time ago beyond a galaxy far far away like hell yeah in timothy zahn's chaos rising the first of the new ascendancy trilogy the disney chists are finally revealed and how thrawn rose through the ranks through memory chapters we see a young thrawn along with arlani how they navigated through the class system with thrawn failing at every political term arlani helps him get through and a test that bears more than a little similarity to the Kobayashi Maru. In the main story, Thrawn investigates a failed attack on the Ascendancy, an abandoned ship that leads him to the not-at-all-suspiciously-named Yev the Benevolent, who is slowly <laughs> taking over the chaos and moving towards the Chits. Thrawn is joined by a Skywalker named Sherry and her, ugh, momish, Named mm. Thallus. Caretaker. She's a caretaker. Color caretaker. <laughs> Who has admired Thrawn for many years, but may not be on the up and up. Will Thrawn be able to stop the sinnersly, sinnersly ill named Yiv? Will Thallus stay loyal, or will she give in to the cause to move up in the system? Does this book break the record for most apostrophes used in a single novel? <laughs> Can we please have one book without the stupid Jedi showing up? And who is the mysterious force behind the chaos and the chaos? Ugh, it's the Grisk, isn't it? All right, two more <laughs> books to find out. It's totally the Grisk. I so don't want it to be the Grisk. It's totally, it's gotta be the Grisk. <laughs> I don't want it to be. It's the stupid Grisk. I just want to wipe my hands clean of the last <laughs> trilogy and walk away, start fresh. I, you know, the Grisk. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna deal with the Grisk. That's his thing now. So we're yeah, deal with them. So. I mean, to get out of the way, I think we probably all agree. This book's really good. Um, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Very. It's not at all what I was expecting. And I guess I expected the new setup to the Chiss to be more, I don't know, militaristic or more bloodthirsty, I guess, than they are. 
I think one of my only kind of qualms with it is if we're going to get into a galaxy beyond far, far away and go into the unknown regions and all that stuff, I just expected it to be a little more weird out there. And it's really not. Like, this could be any system within the core. I don't know. What'd y'all think? I mean, other than them having some weird phenomena going on, and I don't think that they're weird phenomena that don't happen in the known regions, I, other than just the chaos being the chaos, and it's a weird place and kind of trippy, I didn't feel like it was weird and trippy enough once you actually got onto planets and into systems. It's like, they're just, hey, there's this other group of aliens that we hang out with sometimes, and there's this other group over there that we had to put the smack down on, and it's just like any other group of of stars i guess I mean, they're I just guess, unknown i guess that didn't phase me at all i didn't even think about that because thrawn's just a blue guy right yeah like, thrawn's just a blue man if he's coming from the unknown regions then i don't think i was expecting you know silicon based life forms that i can't see in the you know visual spectrum or weird ass things like that like i expected a bunch of blue people thrawn x like a person <laughs> Yeah. You know, uh, the only thing that makes him stand out when he's in the Star Wars galaxy in the galaxy proper is that he's blue and he's smart. Mm-hmm. I just felt like maybe because it was unknown, maybe there should be more unknown. I'm not saying like super crazy stuff. It's unknown to the core people. Yeah. Where's the vault? Uh, what, well, what, <laughs> what, what I liked about this book is it did give us this point of view of. These galaxies are, I mean, mean, listen, we're talking Star Wars. So, I mean, listen, the idea of traveling between galaxies is insane. Okay. But he's not, they're not really in another galaxy. They're on the far edges of this one, basically. uh, Yeah. Of our our main galaxy. Yeah. What I liked that he did in this book was make it, yes, it's very familiar. Um, We'll talk about there's different houses, Game of Thrones style. Um, or Harry Potter style, pick your poison. There are ranks of the military, and, and it all seems very human. Mm-hmm. But I liked the alien, how our Star Wars galaxy is alien to them. And so when they make reference to, they call it, I think they call it the lesser galaxy mm-hmm. or the lower galaxy or lesser galaxy or something like that in there. And like, there's a few times in the book where they kind of dismiss the action and, and or at least the ascendancy, like just kind of dismisses the whole star Wars galaxy that we know <laughs> those people over there, those people we don't care about. Yeah. We've got so much going on. We don't care about anything that's happening over there. I do feel a lot more clear though, about why they can't get over there like how the kind of chaos works. I think he did a really good job of kind of explaining why people don't just go back and forth. Although I did have a note, like the last Star Wars movie. Oh my God. I'm sorry. I'm blank. Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker. It did make me realize them, the big fleet getting to Exegol at the end is a bunch of crap. Like (laughs) they shouldn't be able to get there. You've got to have, something to help you get through the chaos because it's moving all the time. Uh, they had a holocron? They didn't have it. Well, but they followed the raised trail of Here's, holocron. I don't I don't know. I just think we should institute a rule. Hmm. And this applies to all 11 movies. They just don't make a damn they don't make damn sense. They just don't. Are you still counting the Ewok movies? No. No. Okay. Nine main <laughs> movies, Rogue One and Solo. Uh, okay. All right. Should we call it the hyperspace skipping rule? Yeah, they just <laughs> just the movies are the movies and and we love them and they do their thing. And then 
when they're done, the people that are a little more serious or maybe too serious about it come in and they tell more realistic or, or more sensible stories. The, you know, JJ's just trying to get the big moment where all the show, ships show up, you know? Yeah. Um, so you're absolutely correct. Based on this book, what they did probably seems impossible. But that doesn't matter when you're trying to set up a cinematic moment. So I, I've just kind of gone to... Here's how I see the movies these days. The movies are the big blockbuster version of the real story, mm-hmm. right? So you have the real story that happened. And whenever they make a movie, it is the big Michael Bay version of it. The real stories are a little more low-key and they make more sense. But when it comes to the big Michael Bay version, it doesn't matter. You just go for the big movie. But yes, it does. Technically, it doesn't make sense. They have put a lot of focus on the unknown regions. They have. And I don't think it's paid off as much as I thought it would. Now, I mean, obviously, a Mandalorian, they're going to go to the unknown region. So maybe we'll see some more, but they're just going, I guess, to Ilium. I guess it to me, I, I think the payoff was, and it may not be satisfying for people, but the payoff was that that's where the emperor told everybody to go that's where the empire you know regrouped mm-hmm. you know that's where with exegol and the sith fleet but even just the new the first order come came from there you know so i think the idea was not necessarily to set it up for this gigantic payoff although you know if zon may be hoping he can bring the grisk in as as, as maybe the big payoff for it but I think it was just more like, how do we explain that an entire new empire has grown without us knowing it? How do we explain that they have Star Destroyers? How do we explain all these things? Well, they're just real far away and they're hiding in a place that no one knows how to get to. So I think that's just kind of what they're using that for. But Zahn obviously takes it much more seriously. Mm -hmm. So looking at Thrawn in this book, you know, I think now... Zon, we have fully established kind of who Thrawn is in New Canon. And I mean, I've seen criticism and I don't disagree with some of it, but he had to make him a protagonist. I mean, Thrawn is just not as we've talked about. He's not as cutthroat as he used to be, which is, I think that's okay. Yeah. There were times I felt like they rely a lot on people think Thrawn is, you know, this person that puts everybody in danger and then he does something and immediately wins him over. I don't know. I, I like the new Thrawn. I do. I think I'm still kind of reconciling old Thrawn with new Thrawn. You know, we have this Thrawn that is almost fatherly in some areas to Sherry, the Skywalker, which I obviously I think heir to the Empire Thrawn would not be. No. no. So no. sometimes that's kind of... I see. I do miss Thrawn the Conqueror a little bit. Mm-hmm the Thrawn that was the new emperor. I, but I just miss it because of the enormity of the threat that he created and that he, he was sold to us in 92 as the successor to Vader and the emperor mm-hmm. as the new bad guy. This new reworking of him where he's more a, gosh, like more of a, a great leader who ends up working for bad guys. And although one moment I thought that was chilling in the book, though, that does lead us more towards the Thrawn that we know is when I forget who he's with. Was he with Arlani or somebody? Or no, he was with what's the um, Mamish's name? Thalus. Thalus. Yeah, uh, that he was with her or somebody. And they talked about seeing people as individual people. Oh, yeah. And he says, I don't see them as people. I see them as assets. Mm -hmm. Are they an enemy? Are they an ally? Or are they in the way? But clearly he 
doesn't, though, because he he wouldn't have these mentor relationships. He wouldn't inspire all this loyalty if he just thought of people as assets. Well, but the loyalty is a way to get those assets to do what you want. I mean, you know, if you go around being a dick to everybody, they're probably going to, you know, eventually they, they're not going to follow your orders as well. You know? Yeah. Well, but then as a cadet, he's very nice to Thalius. He's very nice to her when she's upset about learning that her, her sight is gone, that she can't be a Skywalker anymore. There's nothing in that for him. No. And there doesn't always have to be. I don't I mean he's not evil. Yeah. You know, he's not pure evil. He ends up working for evil people and doing evil things. That kind of scene with Thalys, though, like I kind of saw that as he kind of connected with her at that point, because now she's kind of in a place where she doesn't fit in and know where she's going. And he's kind of like that, too, because he doesn't fit in with the whole ruling families and the ranks and all that stuff. Like, you know, that's kind of his defining trait. He doesn't fit in with the Chiss. Yeah, he doesn't know how to play their game Mm -mm. or their setup. He's a bad Chiss. Yeah. yeah, and what's crazy is seeing him from a very, very young Chiss to however old he's supposed to be when we see him much, much later and in Rebels and everything else that happens. He he doesn't learn anything about politics in that entire time. Nothing? I think they, I mean, sure, but I also think they made it pretty clear that he, I mean, I don't, I don't know if we, I mean... Is it really apparent in Rebels that he doesn't know anything about politics? I mean, we really don't get to okay, see. Okay, fine. So we don't. I'm, oh, no, I'm just asking. No, I'm not. I'm just asking because we don't really. See, I don't think we see that in action. No, you're probably right. But through the books that we have yeah. that take us the farthest, we've seen Thrawn. Like he goes from very young to however old he is, because I don't even really know how old he is in the last set of books. But I mean, he he just learns nothing and. It's very strange, his lack of growth in that department. And I know they're trying to give him a weakness, but there, there's just no growth whatsoever. He's Sherlock Holmes. Okay. Like, he, he, Zahn has given him, and this is from the beginning, this Sherlock Holmes ability to deduce things, right? Through him, with him, it's through art and logic. But in one of the weaknesses of Sherlock Holmes is always in, it's not even necessarily that Thrawn doesn't always understand politics. He's also awkward. He's also single-minded. You know, there there is a sense of like Doyle did this, but definitely the Benedict Cumberbatch show did this right where the idea is that Sherlock is so smart and show, so in their own head and so focused that they don't have the ability to interact with other people in a human way and their brains don't let them. And I think that's part of what he's doing. He doesn't understand politics, but they even say in this, he just doesn't get it like he may not be capable I, for me. And this is probably well, it definitely is informed by kind of what I do for a living. It's almost like he has high functioning autism. I was going to I was going to say that I was going to use the word. Yeah. Yeah. He, you know, is very good at certain things. He's very analytic. But when it comes to the social part, his brain just doesn't work like that. And, you know, it's not just with the politics of it, even in his kind of interactions with Arlani sometimes and with Alice, like. He says things and does things without regard to their feelings because he just doesn't see that. Actually, to to me, he connected more with the women in this book than he did with any other man besides Eli Vanto than he's done in anything else I've read. But all the standout characters in this book are women. Yeah. True. Other than him, all the standout characters are women. I can't even tell you much about any of the other male characters in this book. But even the people he connects with, it's always people he wants to teach something or show 
or learn something from, you know, he's never against learning something new. And, but I, I, what I do, I do like that this at first, I was really not happy with the memories chapters because I was like, oh, we're going to do this the whole book. Are we going to go back and forth the whole book? And very, very quickly, the answer became yes. But as it wore on, I was like, okay, all right, I'm digging, I'm, I'm digging these chapters as much as I am the, the uh, current chapters. But it was still the revelation that this kind of part of the chip on his shoulder comes from the one mistake that he did make. That the whole book is about. The whole book is leading up to this moment, revealing that he did mess up one time. That his his actions, even though they seemed completely right at the time and logical and he used his genius brain to figure out this cool solution, ended up being like a having a pretty bad result. I, I liked that about the book a lot. I felt not annoyed, but concerned about the memories chapters at first. But as they went on and delved deeper and deeper, they got not just more interesting, but more significant to what was actually happening. Yeah, I think that was masterfully done. Like I said, I, I felt the same way. I was not happy with them at first. And I think the way they, even though they technically don't, but they they've they managed to merge with the main story without actually merging with the main story in this very synergistic way that I thought really paid off at the end. I was really happy in those last hundred pages how how we got to, how he was disseminating the information to us. But this book is all girl power, by the way. It's all it girl is. power. Well, see, let's talk about Skywalker's. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> you know, we had seen him in the last uh, of the last book in the last trilogy. And so we get a whole lot of Skywalkers in yep. this book and kind of how it works. And you also get the Pathfinders who are the, you know, the non-Chiss navigators. Yeah, I was going to ask about the Pathfinders. Yeah. And their navigating guild. So is that all the Force lets you access in the Unknown Regions is how to drive a spaceship? But is that the Force? Or is it something else? Oh, I definitely think it's the Force. I mean, they go into like the meditation and the fact Vader does it in that last book. It's definitely some sort of tapping into the Force that lets them yeah. kind of miss asteroids or whatever. And at one point they do kind of talk about, because she's got some other Force powers. They're not as strong, but they kind of talk about that she can sometimes hear things from far away. She can kind of predict what people are going to do sometimes right before it happens. It's kind of weak, but it's there. Well, that's our other site that they introduced in the last trilogy too, which is potentially some kind of force power. So could be right. You, it could be some sort of the pathfinders are in the same deal. But I guess if they get you young, you know, kind of like the Jedi do, find you young. And instead of like the Jedi, where they train you to murder someone with a laser sword, they just train you to navigate and don't teach you to tap anything else. I mean, I guess I can kind of see that. But when you, my, here's my question though. So when you hit 12 or whatever it ages is, they become useless. Where do those midi chlorians go? Like mm -hmm. why, if, if they have the, if they are force users, then why does the force leave them when they get to a certain age? It's very specific about how at at this exact age, pretty much, right, give or take a year, they lose their ability to do this. And that's that's the part I can't wrap my head around. I kind of looked at it like reverse X-Men. So you know how, and it's not as much anymore, <laughs> but, you know, the X-Men, your powers used to activate because of puberty. Yeah. I kind of thought of the Chiss the same way. Like, when the Chiss have puberty, their midichlorians are like, yep, never mind, and just shut down. 
I I do also believe they're using the force, but it's uh, unless there's a competing power out there, which would be interesting. Yeah. But, well, so did Sal- Thalius just get her period too early, and that's why she couldn't be a Skywalker you know, anymore? Because that's weird. I really I think that's kind of what it is. <laughs> like maybe all their minute. Hold on, listeners. We're going to get bodily fluids right here. Maybe when you have your first period, all the midichlorians <laughs> exit your body at that point. One thing I really do think is interesting, and I hope they keep going into this. I do like the story beats about who are you when you're a Skywalker once your powers are gone? Like kind of what happens to you that like it's an interesting kind of idea. Especially you're that you're that young, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so much like, is put on you when you're like eight years old and then, you know, mm-hmm. you get to puberty and they kick you out. You're you're 12. We're done. You get, with some, you. you get some pimples and you're done. Yeah, you get sold off to a ruling family with a OK family rank and then you're just gone or you can be a momish. What? what uh, well, in this case, what I like about the, the Skywalkers is that what you were talking about with the outer room being weirder, it does it does make sense that different societies would develop different technologies for how to do things Mm -hmm. and in you know and that usually equates in star wars and any science fiction that usually equates to like what kind of laser beam comes out of their gun and how Mm -hmm. weird is their gun you know are they are they the giant gungan uh plasma balls or are they you know like are they hans blaster like that's how we usually distinguish in star wars is just the weaponry and there's some of that here as well but i like they did not develop the nava computer that they they developed another strategy to move throughout this place. And they're also not doing, it doesn't seem as long a trips as you would necessarily in the galaxy, mm-hmm. but this idea of using other means to navigate. I mean, you have to assume the first hyperspace, the first hyperspace travelers, at least in legends, they didn't have navigation computers. Navigation yeah, I mean, computers are programmed with the information that those scouts bring back. And I could see a C in that in high Republic. Like they may not have it yet. So, and I, you know, they do good. I like the point that you don't need them to just navigate your little system. You no. only need it to go through the chaos and the just keep it real quiet who they use and kind of how they do it. Yeah. Um, I guess so the grisk don't come and get them. Eventually, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it, it is. I thought this depiction of the chis was, I mean, had we, we had heard about the families and stuff though, right? Before. Kind of, but not to this amount of detail. Right. Like, I think we knew they like, were families. Like, we knew Myth was his family before. Right. But we didn't know this kind of setup that there's the nine rulers and then there's all these ranks within that. And you can adopt and you can change families. <laughs> yeah. Super crazy, complicated hierarchy of a family. But, you know, Zahn does an awesome job of making it very clear. Like... Yeah. I as complicated as it is being a married adoptive and a trial born and then all the way up and then a syndic and all this mess when you're in the political hierarchy, I never got confused when they were kind of explaining, yeah, you know, if you come do this trial, you can move up or. Okay. Let's talk about the trial. So in order, in order to go up a rank in the myth, you basically just have to do an episode of double dare. (laughs) Yeah. Take a walk. Nobody's there. Talk to some old dude. <laughs> that was the one thing I was disappointed by was this trials thing. Like, because it really felt like the la- the end of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. 
or something. Mm-hmm. It was just it was just like, oh, I had to do some math problems and then I had to figure out how to cross a river with some sticks. And I was just like, mm-hmm. so so basically the trial is you have to play Uncharted for two days. <laughs> it's pretty accurate. I, I mean, that's a trial. It is. It is. I'd gladly do it. But it just it just felt it felt a little for all the buildup there was about her taking the trial and this big deal, I felt that it was way too easy. It went by way too quick. I got the impression that this was not a normal trial. And I would like to see what a normal trial would look like. But the patriarch, yeah, his intervention, I think, was what made it not be a normal trial. Because I, yeah. I can't imagine that a patriarch just, you know, comes to hang out with everybody who takes a trial. Well, I think he's involved because of Thrawn. Like he, yeah. you know, thinks Thrawn is the future of the chest. And that's something, I mean, the Chiss are, they don't go into it much, but the Chiss are in trouble. Like, you know, their core planet's all messed up now. And yeah. They're keeping it real quiet. Yeah, they're keeping it low key that like no one lives in their capital anymore, except for I mean, they live underground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, they're, they're science deniers. Um, <laughs> I never got lost either because what he does a good job of is it doesn't matter if you understand what, whatever initiate means all that matters is that you understand the character wants this or that it's Mm. good for the character so even if you don't understand it's it's the west wing or er philosophy right where you may not understand the piece of legislation that they're arguing for in the west wing but if you like the characters and you know the characters want it then you want it too and it doesn't matter and so when when it comes to the ranks i may not have a grasp on exactly how the families work but he does such a good job in this to me with the characters. I loved pretty much all of them that when they come upon something or come up to a challenge that involves one of these things or family stabbing someone in the back, or whatever, I'm like, well, I don't really know all this, but I care about this character. So mm-hmm. is this what they want? Cool. It's what I want too. That's why I think that he did a good job of guiding us through it without bogging us down too much. Well, I think what was well done about it was that he brought it up enough times in enough different ways that it wasn't explaining the same things to you over and over and over again. But it was, okay, this character is now this and they want to be this, so they're going to do this. But it it wasn't repetitive and it wasn't, I'm going to keep explaining this to you because you're stupid and don't understand it. I'll say one thing about whatever they call this area, the Unknown Regions. Um, Apparently politicians are assholes everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) Because I... They are terrible. I like the idea of this because they say it several times that the syndicate, this, the, the 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 ruling body, they're not supposed to get involved in military affairs. And the entire book is them. Syndicure. 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 Syndicate is different, guys. It's mentioned several times that they don't get involved with military matters, and the entire book is them getting involved in military matters. <laughs> the military is the good guys in this book. Like yeah. they're the yeah. ones that are like right <laughs> doing the good they, things. You know what they felt like to me? They you felt know, more like Starfleet. I, yes, there were several things in this book that felt very star trekking like the ascent like the the chiss what is it called expeditionary expansionary fleet feels like starfleet you know and the general was the most sympathetic character and the most likable character compared to all of the politicians that they deal with in the syndicure oh the syndicure was just yeah no uh, yeah they're that black they're that it's weird they're this kind of official cabal I, i don't know how to explain them but it was it was just funny to me that every single time someone said, well, the syndicate doesn't mess with the military, immediately someone from the syndicate messed with the military. <laughs> yeah, I'm coming on your ship to watch what's going on. Yeah. Sure, buddy. Yeah, we don't do that. Well, I'm doing it, you know. <laughs> Except for when we do. But that but that also goes towards 
Thrawn's lack of understanding of the politics. That kind of, it's not the duplicity would surprise him, but like, it's not the way his brain works. He's been told that, and he believes it's probably a good thing that the syndicate doesn't interfere with the military. And he's learned that they do, but I don't know. He just doesn't have, he just doesn't have that muscle. Some people don't have that muscle to, Mm -hmm. to, to interact with people or to, or to be as cutthroat as you need to be. I think we are. And and remember, this is earlier, like he still is going to end up being a villain. And I wouldn't call him a villain in this. I would say he's neutral, right? He's not Mm -hmm. a good guy or a bad guy. He's just he's chaotic, chaotic. (laughs) Yeah, he's good. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. In this, I would say he's a I would put him as a good guy. Yeah, because he's, you know, no matter what, he knows something is coming after the ascendancy. And so he kind of does everything he can to protect it, even when politics gets in the way. And I think he also feels like he's above politics. That's the other thing too. I I think one of the reasons maybe he doesn't learn as much about politics is he feels like that's below him, that that's not what he's good at. And it would be a waste of his energies to worry about politics when he could be studying paintings from the bearables, which which is fair, you know, Mm -hmm. because he's extremely good at that. So, you know, Stay in your wheelhouse. This is the first time in a long time where I've been impressed with him as like, I've gone back to being impressed with him. Like, I don't think the new trilogy really did that for me, but this time around I was like, yeah, but but you're right. You mentioned the Kobayashi Maru. There is, there's a lot of like, he's like Kirk and Spock rolled into one. Yeah. <laughs> like he's got a little Kirk, a little Spock, a little Klingon. Mm-hmm. Like it's definitely tricky. Yeah. I definitely felt there's the one where he looks at the painting and I can't remember the planet's name, but it's all the threads going together and he realizes that how he can kind of change them to go against Yiv. That felt right. very old school strong. Like that level yeah. of detail putting together, like if I just push this into motion because I saw this painting, I can affect this huge thing. And it's all nonsense, but I believe it in the moment, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like there, there is a certain level of him going like hmm i'm looking at the this vase i think if we shoot at them from the right they will turn this way based on me looking at this vase <laughs> i'll go with it for i'll go with it just for thrawn <laughs> and again you you, you kind of have to go with it with sherlock holmes to an extent as well that their powers of deduction are near supernatural but in this book i i bought i bought into it the whole way i just thought this was maybe my favorite characterization of him ever like maybe since the original yeah. books but he was the villain in those books we don't spend as much time with him in heir to the empire and stuff because he is the bad guy but in this like i, I agree with you i miss warlord thrawn i miss evil thrawn but this is you know before he even gets a chance he's not an imperial yet the idea that he ends up working for them for a quote-unquote good cause doesn't stop the fact that he's working for the emperor it's still bad and he's still trying to kill rebels and stuff when we get to it this version of Thrawn, I liked this person. Maybe that's, at the end of the day, maybe that's what people are complaining about is he's likable now, but and not as much of a badass. But the problem is he's still a badass. He's still badass, and he's, <laughs> he's not... He's still super badass. He's not that likable. He's relatable. Yeah. But I, I mean, it's not like a character I read and go, dude, I would totally be friends with him and have drinks with him. Like, even Arlani goes out to a museum with him and thinks like, Oh, we're going to have a nice night out. No, we're going to spend a night in a museum looking at art so he can talk about tactics. Okay. I wanted to bring that up. Do the Chiss have sex? 
I don't know that Ron probably has a lot of sex. They must. They must reproduce. It just see. It, it seems so like, and, and maybe that's fair. Maybe it's intentional to you know. But like you're you're right. Arlani thinks they're gonna have a nice night at the at the at the museum. And it almost feels like for a second, she feels like it could be a date. I got that too. And then when they were going to go spar, I was like, oh, is she trying to turn this into a date? Again, I don't mind stuff like that. Like it just, it just was odd to me that everyone, it seems to be at least what we've seen is a very asexual culture. Well, it would have felt very out of place for Thrawn to hook up with Arlani because when I thought it might yes. be headed that direction, I was not comfortable with that direction because in, in another book, the sparring might have led to something else. And so I was really nervous for a minute. But then when it led to nothing, I was like, OK, thank you for at least staying true to character. That is following kind of the Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes template, right, is that, you know, you can have someone um, be attracted to them or want to be their friend even. And their personality just won't allow them like they, they've decided that there's no room in their life for that thing. And, and like Ryan was talking about, it goes towards that, you know, he's not 100 percent socially functioning, even if she puts on her best, you know, her little black dress and they go out to the museum and she's totally flirt. He would have no clue True. what was happening. And and I'm not saying she was, and I'm not saying that I think there should have been a love story. It just felt odd to me that like there was no hint of romance between any characters at all that he's ever had with any Chiss. And I just want to know where baby Chiss came from. My guess is, and this is totally not in the book, but just as far as their culture set up, I bet they just trade between the ruling families. That it's set up marriages. The Urziri say yeah. like, all right, we're going to give you this girl to marry this myth. And the kid's yeah. going to be a myth. And you constantly kind of make deals like that to increase your social standing. It's quite possible. I just, yeah, I, 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 that would I, make sense. I don't remember anyone mentioning their husband or wife or spouse or children yeah. or anything like that like everyone seems to be for 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 a culture that's all about families but again they're, they're these ruling families so they're more like gangs or whatever but there's all this talk of families but no one actually has a, a actual nuclear family we're also dealing with a lot of military people though who don't have a whole lot to do with what takes place in the family and the only families we actually deal with are the syndics and the syndics don't really, they're not getting down to the dirty business. So I think we would have to go down to lower levels of the family to get to the. Uh, the breeders. Well, yeah, I was going to say the breeding population, for lack of a better term. Right. But, but but even in this, like, does do any characters ever mention their parents? Yeah, but do they need to? Because their parents aren't their family. Thrawn's parents aren't his family. It's interesting to me is all that it seems to be a, a, a knowing, knowing how much of the world runs on on sex. It's just weird to me that this society has none. But unless that's part, I mean, even even Vulcans get horny. Like. And we've seen it. It's not pretty, but Vulcans get horny. There's whole episodes based on that. So, like, I don't know. It was just it was just interesting to me because because, yeah, Beth, and it came from that. It came from that night where I was like, she's trying to she's trying to get in his pants. And then, you know, but he's Thrawn. So he's like, I don't even know if she was, but it just felt like it was headed that direction for a minute. And I was I was apprehensive. You're right. There was a line, though, I believe I'd have to go back and look where it said something about her looking forward to kind of a nice time at the museum or something. Yeah. She thought was, she was going to get some drinks and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And and so that was the moment where I was like, Oh, okay. That's kind of neat, you know? And, and I wouldn't fault the story if 
knowing what we know about him and Aralani's relationship in the other books, you know, in the future and everything, I wouldn't fault him if there was at least there were a slight romantic subplot between them. That would I make total sense. I feel like you could have respect for somebody as a commander without, you know, having banged them in the past, though. Of course. No, and I'm glad they didn't. I'm glad they didn't. I'm just saying it wouldn't have been out of place to have. And it doesn't have to be them banging each other. I just mean like uh, a little unrequited crush or something, you know, like to to make them more human and relatable. Because I, I don't know. I don't necessarily. The one thing I don't quite get about the Chiss is I don't know what drives them. Is it just power? I don't think it's. Well, it's definitely not expanding because they're happy to be in the ascendancy and why is it called the expansionary fleet then i don't know they make it a point that at some point they stopped getting involved like they don't want to get into the other politics and they make some deals but they don't seem to want to take over anything they're kind of happy in their little bubble and they don't seem to be conquerors well yeah. and they're super strict with their rules about not being the aggressor in anything. One would say with their prime directive. <laughs> One might say. Yeah, no, they're not conquerors. They're not they're not out there trying to take over the galaxy. They you said they have their handful of planets or whatever and they have their ascendancy and they're very happy to live their lives there. To what end? <laughs> yeah. Well and it like, seemed there was a point where they were talking about the Sith War and how they were involved in that and that seemed to be kind of the catalyst for them being like never mind yeah some with the sith, the sith empire yeah yeah we're done and i do yeah. kind of want to know more about that oh god i want to know about that <laughs> i want to know about the, Ch the chiss running into the sith empire please please and they kind of hint that the chiss whooped their butts i know like, and i need to know about that yeah i would i would like to see that as well but this is a, this was a very cool presentation of just society that I was not expecting. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was done really well. But can we talk for a second about how cool Oralani is? Oh, my God. I loved her so much in the other books, but I she is my favorite character. I like I like Thalius. I like Cherie. But Oralani is the best character in this book. She's coming on my list of my favorite new canon characters. Uh huh. She's yeah, I mean, she's like Admiral Sloan, maybe Arlani <laughs> Bologna. <laughs> yes, sure. She she's <laughs> she's a competent Sloan. I like the fact that she is a very good, very good general or very good admiral. Also understands that Thrawn is also very good at what he does, and I like that she is willing to take risks partially for him and partially for the ascendancy because she knows she knows the truth which is the more he's off the chain the better it is for the ascendancy and so she has to walk this line she puts her ass on the line for him many yes. many times not just in the current story but in the memories yeah. as well she goes yeah. out on a limb for him and she sticks her neck out and many times she's like i could get ruined i could my career could be over for this and she does it anyway. Because she know because she believes in him. He's that extraordinary. The patriarch of the clan is like, you gotta look out, you gotta you know, like I'm sending you back. He sends uh Thalia's back to be like, No, no, your job is to look after him. <laughs> like, go back and look after him. Like he is so because the, I mean the patriarch and this is what I find really interesting as we go through, because this is gonna be a trilogy. And I'm assuming the whole trilogy is going to wrap up before he joins the Empire. 
right? That the I'm assuming that the trilogy wraps up with how he ends up on the planet where right. the Empire found him. Yeah. Right, exactly. So in, in doing that, we have a, a lot more uh, story to tell, but within the Chiss, but, in the, but the Patriarch wants him to take over, right? But the Patriarch sees him as probably his replacement. I don't know if he saw it as a replacement. I almost saw the Patriarch, and again, kind of with that parallel to the planet they were on dying, like he sees the Chiss are in trouble. Like they're on a dead end, basically. And Thrawn is who's going to take them out of this and move the ascendancy forward. And I think, you know, General Bakif sees that too, that he's kind of the future of the ascendancy. And you've got these families that are stuck squabbling in between themselves and Rome is crumbling around them. Are you telling me that a political body would bother squabbling? While there are big, disastrous things that are threatening everybody, I, that everyone's <laughs> talking about, and that a political body would bother just squabbling with each other. We say we're recording this the night before the third presidential, the second presidential debate. You're saying that people would, that they would ignore quite possibly the end of their civilization to squabble between different parties. Is that what you're saying? I mean, Star Wars. <laughs> By the third book, by the third book, we're going to have a Senate all clapping. And <laughs> um, there may be some fiddle playing. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm just, just, it just seems astounding to me that uh, you know, uh, it's it's like it's like on Krypton. Um, well, okay. So, what did y'all think of Yiv? Yiv the benevolent, <laughs> who was the least benevolent creature ever. I, but, you know, I really liked some of the characterization of him where he's like just at a bar, you know, hanging out. Yep, that's Yiv. And he seems all good. I mean, it's obviously, again, though, it felt like Grisk tactics because I'm not real sure how he took over some of these systems. He seemed to kind of weasel his way in and say some things were not true and throw some threats around, which, again, sounds awful familiar. Um <laughs> With his, he was very characteristic, you know, very charismatic. I mean, I liked him. I don't think he's like a super strong bad guy. I don't think he's going to be remembered in Star Wars lore or anything. But no. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not dying for the action figure. Like, I would buy an Arlani action figure tomorrow. But yeah, I, I, I'm not. I, here's a question I had: Do we know what these Chiss ships look like? These, their capital ships. Are there any pictures of them anywhere? Because when I like, like in a comic or something, because when I was reading it, I just had to imagine Star Destroyers so that it would look cool in my head because I don't know what their ships are like. Actually, I was picturing some weird Starfleet designs. So, yeah, going back to the Star Trek crossover. OK, I'm on Wikipedia and looking at them. They are. I mean, they kind of look like carriers. They're kind of rounded. I mean, they look different enough from Imperial or Republic ships. They look about like I thought they would, too. Um, kind of, I'm trying to think of a show that would have a ship that looks like this. I mean, it's fine. I was just wondering, because I said, it, it for me to get, like, especially at the end, when, like, in the moments where Arlani or whatever just shows up, at, you know, like, part of the plan, you know, and the, the capital ships all of a sudden appear, and you're like, oh, we shouldn't have messed with these guys. I had to envision Star Destroyer, so it looked awesome in my head because I didn't know what their ships looked like. Well, but I got the <laughs> feeling that, like, if the Chiss went up against the Empire, 
they're going to get their ass kicked real fast. Like, yeah. Yeah. Now they've got those sweet acid weapons, which I really like where it kind yeah. of blows apart and acid goes flying at you, but their shields are terrible. Yeah. But um, it, they beat the Sith. Yeah. That's kind of what I want to see that more because the Chiss don't feel like they could. Not these, not these Chiss. Yeah. But I mean, what did they have that beat the Sith? And why did they stop using that? In this timeline, we don't know when the Sith Empire was, do we? Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's still very vague. He said the word Sith Empire, and I'm like, have we even established that there was a Sith Empire in yeah, this was timeline? It like a hundred years ago? Was it a thousand years ago? Who knows? In in legends, it's thousands of years ago, right? Yeah, I mean, we've established there was one because they kind of talk about it when Coruscant had the Sith temples on it. You're right. But I don't think they've given a firm timeline of when it was. Everything seems to be moved up in the new canon. Like things that used to be thousands of years ago are now a couple of hundred years ago. Yeah, they're condensing things. In the new canon, is the Jedi Temple built on top of an old Sith Temple? Is that still a thing? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it is. But yeah, they don't have shields. They've got, well, they have, what do they They call do them? now. They have like a ray shield kind of thing at the beginning. But yeah, now they go get themselves a shield. Yeah, let's talk about that. I have a paragraph about this. Okay. All right. <laughs> go, ahead. go, 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 go. Well, so it's, I didn't realize when I started reading this book and I didn't realize until the moment it happened that this basically, this book takes place at the exact same time as Thrawn Alliance is taking place, or at least portions of it do. So I was super scared when they wound up on Batuu and I was just like, oh, God, are we on Batuu again? And I'm going to strangle whoever's in charge of making sure Batuu shows up in every book. But then Anakin shows up and then then I was worried that, oh, God, are we going to rehash the worst book of the last trilogy? But then I liked I liked finding out why Thrawn was there. And that was when he was there with uh, he was teaching Sheree to fly, right? Yes, so I liked seeing it from Thrawn's point of view and what he was doing there and why, and it made it so much more interesting, and it made the last, or the middle book of the last trilogy a little less terrible, because it felt like there was, feeling like I knew what Thrawn was doing made it feel like there was more to that book. It did make me question, though. He Thrawn and alliances didn't have a lot of urgency no. when he's with Anakin. Like you think he'd be moving a little faster, being like, "I left yeah. a ten-year-old girl up in space. It's cool. <laughs> She'll yeah. be fine." Because it takes place over a couple of days, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Sherry's just hanging out, I guess, just chilling. I me- did that. Did that did occur to me as well? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, probably thinking like. Man, that guy's last name is Skywalker. This is some freaky stuff. And like, yeah. Well, and, yeah. okay. So the other thing, besides the word "momish," the only other thing that bothered me was that they use so many words in. Oh, what the hell's their name? Uh, the language's name Chiun. Mm-hmm. They use every other word, every other name in their language, but they continue to call them Skywalkers, and we don't get to hear the Chiyun word for it. So they continuously call them Skywalkers the entire time. And like, can, can we not hear their word for it? I mean, even if I can't pronounce it, can I just have it? I think that is their word for it. Like I get the feeling that at some point we are going to find out what the connection is and who knows what it's going to be. But 
that word got brought to them somehow. And that's kind of how they adopted it. You're talking about Momish, of course, right? Oh, yeah, <laughs> Stupid Momish. <laughs> uh, you, you guys set me up. They don't say it that many times. Yes, they do. Cherie, wow. Cherie says it a lot. And yep. the problem with the word is that it implies that it is some sort of surrogate mother, which, in fact, the caregivers are not because a lot of them are terrible and treat the kids like crap. A lot of moms are terrible and treat their kids like crap. They're kind of momish. And now you guys are saying that's the ish part of it. They're a little momish. They're not. You're right, Beth. They're not moms. They're mom-ish. I'm saying surrogate mother figures of some mm-hmm. kind. Right. Yeah, they're mom-ish. Uh-huh, which they, is an they English take care word. of them. They bathe them. They, they you know, they. Because all they, they seem to do is them. run them baths and eat and give them food. And get markers. Markers are a very big deal. Lots of freaking markers. They run baths, they serve food, and they give markers. And sounds about right. why is that an English word? Well, now I will say, and Beth, I know you don't have children. A lot of my life was giving bath, getting food, and finding some markers. All right, <laughs> fair it's, enough. It's a, it's a big chunk of being a parent. <laughs> yeah, it's right. a real big chunk of being a parent. That sounds about like, right. Yeah, like... That's that's pretty much it. Yeah. And getting them out of the and getting them out of the room when the adults are talking. I have not given children that many baths in my life, but I just feel like these kids take a lot of damn baths. You know, it's a long day at work. They gotta relax. Kids get real dirty. Okay. <laughs> they get real dirty real fast. They really, you really do. They really do need a bath. Like every break. five minutes, it seems like Shereen needs a bath. <laughs> If I could bathe my kids every five minutes and it wouldn't destroy my life, I probably would because they would probably need it. Well, well, that that I get and I get the meltdown of a Skywalker and all of that. But just the constant bathing and the constant feeding. I thought she was a cool character. The the, the Skywalker who couldn't walk skies anymore. And but she's so she's in there as a spy, right? Kind of. So let's walk it back real quick. So she's trying to get onto the ship because she because Thrawn was nice to her when she was a kid. Yeah. Is that why she's trying to get on? And then that guy shows up, the one that, whose name I keep forgetting. Um, Thurfian. Thurfian. Yeah, that's kind of what I got. Is She's been trying to get back to Thrawn because he inspired her. And this is kind of the deal she makes to do it. Like, okay. he'll get her on, but he has to report back what she sees so he can take it to the uh, signature, signature, and right, tell the him. Nine, the yeah, nine families. Yeah, he's doing bad stuff, so we should, we can get rid of him now. So he's always I, doing bad stuff. I mean, I was nine once, and somebody was probably nice to me when I was nine, but I didn't remember it and go back and track them down later. Were you a super-powered hyperspace navigator with force powers? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. All right. So I'm just saying, speak from experience. No, it's <laughs> it's uh, it's a little bit of a stretch the, uh, to me, the idea that the entire reason she shows up is because he was nice to her for a minute and she's been stalking him. I mean, she's basically stalking him, right? She yeah. doesn't tell him. She doesn't tell him till like 75% of the way through the book. It's like, oh, by the way, you were nice to me once when I was a little girl. That's why I'm here. Yeah, no, it's a little creepy. It wasn't that he was just nice to her, though. Like, he no, no. gave her her identity, basically. Yes, like, yes. You don't have to be an ex-Skywalker all your life. 
And so her whole identity is based around what Thrawn told her. She still stalks him. Yeah, it's still a little stalky. It said I kept waiting for her to say something, and then it was so late into the book. And she's like, yeah, we met when I was little. And I'm like, oh, finally. Um, I'm surprised he didn't remember her because, you know, his brain is perfect. Yes. Well, I, I kept expecting her to put the moves on him, too, and I was very glad that, that it didn't go that no. way, but <laughs> yes. I, I was expecting it just not from Zon books, but from past Star Wars books. I just expected there would gonna it would be awkward in some way that it was not. Maybe that's just not what's interesting to Zon either, and there are plenty of other Star Wars books that are going to have romances and stuff in it, and he just, that's not what he's telling stories about. And that's fine. Yeah, Momish was stupid. I'm not going to, I'm not, it wasn't, here's the problem. You guys set me so up so much to hate Momish talking about the book <laughs> that well, it didn't bother me nearly as much. I didn't realize you hadn't started reading the book when we did that. No, and that's fine. I don't care. I don't care about spoilers or anything. But you guys, yeah, so you guys, it set me up to be like, oh, God, this is going to be annoying. And I just because I'm re like, if I, I think if I had listened to it, it probably would have annoyed me a lot more. If I had had to listen to whoever did the audiobook, I think it was the same guy that does them all. Um, Mark Thompson, I think. Right. But uh, if I had to listen to him say momish in like a little girl voice, it probably would have annoyed me. But in the book, I can just kind of skim through it. It doesn't, you know, it, it, it didn't it didn't bother me, but I agree that it's stupid. It just feels so out of place. It's not that it just that it's stupid. It's that it's so out of place in Star Wars. I understand that the biggest problem with it is, is that it feels like he, they're just literally saying that she, they're mom ish. Like that is literally just, yeah, that they're like a mom. And that that's the term that she uses. And so, yes, I agree that that feels um, that feels very out of place. But I, I like the Skywalker idea. I think it's cool. I, I don't I don't mind the coincidence on the names. I mean, it's a big galaxy, you know, that's right. It's a really big galaxy. So they have two things with the same name. I guarantee you there's more than one being out there called Babu Frick and they don't know each other. They're like they're you know I'm just like you know there's there there's another Chewbacca out there like you know and he's a I'm just saying like it's a big galaxy there's gonna be people I, I don't know it makes it actually makes more sense to me with all the variables involved that you could cut that they could just call these things Skywalkers and then they could be a name Skywalker but you're right they could end up tying it in yeah I mean Luke kept his name well. and no one ever found him like it wasn't enough of a red flag to have some kid out there named Luke Skywalker so and then throw him on Tatooine. <laughs> Ryan, what did we just talk about with the movies? <laughs> what did we just talk about? <laughs> we got to ignore that stuff. Should he be Luke Lars? He should absolutely be Luke Lars. We all know he should be Luke Lars, but Luke Lars sounds stupid. So, and I, I meant to bring this up during news, but I'm going to bring it up real fast. If HBO currently has a documentary on called The Vow about Nexium, which is, you know, the weird sex cult that Alice Mack and all of them were in. But yeah. one of the main characters on it is who played Aunt Beru in Revenge of the Sith. No, really? And so every oh, time we're like watching it, like you get to see how Aunt Beru was sucked into a sex cult. And I'm like, oh, oh no. no. Aunt Beru, no. <laughs> Beru, uh, Beru White Sun, I think is her maiden name. And, and that's the other thing, too. Yeah, her her maiden name is is uh, is White Sun. 
you have Biggs Darklighter. Like Skywalker's actually, they even say like that's kind of a common name. <laughs> they even, I think they even say that in the in the book that it's it may be a common name with their species. Well, in you know? Bloodline, it's a uh, Joff Sea Striker. I mean, they have weird names. Yeah, yeah that I mean, kind it's... of still kind of makes sense. So I don't know. It makes sense to me. I think it's a cool little. But then I know other, some people roll their eyes, but I like it. Other things like just everybody except calling it blue milk. Can it not just be milk in their galaxy? Does it have to be blue milk? They also have green milk. So, I mean, if they call it blue milk, then all they're all they're telling you is there are other colors of milk. You don't want to go to a cantina and say, give me some milk and you want it blue and then green comes out. You just right. can't do it. Or the pink milk, like you have no idea. So maybe it's just, and you think about all the different species in the galaxy. There's got to be milk of every color. Mm-hmm. There's yak milk, or not, not yak milk. Uh, bantha milk. Bantha milk. Yeah. Is blue milk bantha milk? It must be right. Wh- okay, where's the green milk from? Uh, that the big titty creature. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So we're ignoring the stuff from the movies. We don't want to listen to. Green it's milk is not. A, no, no. Green, I'm okay milk, with green milk existing. That's that's not no. an unrealistic detail. I mean, I I don't want. Milk. I don't want green milk to exist. But you can drink it straight from the teat. No, just like you can drink cow no. milk straight from the teat. No, I don't want you to can. do any of those things. People have done it. They have. They have, People and have it's gross. It. Uh, People yeah. still do it. I did confirm. Blue milk is from the female bantha. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. And green milk is from that weird looking thing on Octo. You know? It would have been funny if though if if Luke had like when we got to Octo, you realized Luke had raised like a couple of banthas for meat and milk. Like he brought them with him. <laughs> no, I, I would have seen like I would have wanted to see like a pasteurization process. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're like, that was very unsanitary. <laughs> well, all right, so speaking of Octo, here's a question I had to you going back to the unknown regions. So Octo is in the unknown regions. Ilium is, is it? Yeah, so is Ilium. Okay. Okay. It's on the edge of them. So how often are the Chiss going over to the lesser galaxy? It doesn't seem a lot, but they know a lot that's going on, or at least they have a pretty good idea, and they kind of know some tech that's over there. And they have spies. Well, yeah, I think they were a little more involved than I thought they were. And, I mean, if Acto's right there... You know, they're more than aware of Jedi and all that mess. I, I mean, I guess they're not as isolated as I thought they were. Just uh, Thrawn going to Batu. I mean, he knows where it is and he meets a Jedi and knows what a Jedi is. So they, they're more involved than I guess they pretend to be. Well, they're just they're keeping I mean, they're keeping an eye on their neighbors and they acknowledge that especially if like Ryan was talking about, if they're, if the ascendancy is in trouble, then the idea that, you know, cause Thrawn says in the, in the new books, right. That he's the reason he, whole, the only reason he comes to join the empire is to see if they will be, they can help out the ascendancy. They will be an ally. And if he can, you know, and he decides to basically infiltrate the ascendancy when, when the emperor brings him in to see if he can, yes, do work for the emperor, but at the same time, create a powerful ally for the Chiss when the Grisk come along, basically. And so, th- yeah, they pay attention. Is it the Grisk? Yes. No. 
So the only thing that kind of has me questioning it is that very last scene with, what's her name, Kalori, the Pathfinder. He hears the voice in his head, almost like the Emperor does. So do the Grisk have Force powers too, or is it... Is that what happened at the end? Was it a, it was like a, a he, it was like telepathic? Yeah, he's like on the ship and then he kind of hears the voice, right? Yeah. Let's see. Mm. I'm looking real fast. The voice, yeah. Yeah, it says he was, here it is. So Kalori is wrenched out of the Great Presence. So he's navigating. Right. He gets kind of yanked out and he's on the bridge. But everything is blank. Like all the power in the systems are shut down. But he's talking through the bridge speaker, though. The cultured voice came from the bridge speaker. Yeah. So, I mean, it's possible that it's, it's somebody on board or hacked in communications. So it's not in his head. Yeah. Book. It's coming from the speaker. So who knows? But I just think with having read the other trilogy, I can't imagine that it's not the Grisk. It's just I have a hard time believing that he would do this work in this other trilogy trilogy to set up this basically replacement for the Vong, this this existential threat to the Chiss. And then in this book, we find out that there's a, a mysterious existential threat to the Chiss, that it's not them. I don't know. I have a hard time believing that. It's I guess not. it's just personally offensive to me because I find the Grisk so bland and unthreatening and and maybe there are people out there who think that they're they're cool villains and that they're exciting and we should keep following them but i do not you said we didn't care necessarily for those books as much said we enjoyed them but we you know we talked about them on the episodes we didn't love the second two especially but this book was so good that i'm willing to go for the ride like uh, my, this book was so good that if he's he's at he's acting in this almost like you said, uh, this protective bubble where he's not setting up a movie. He's not setting up a show. He's really not beholden. To, the only thing he's beholden to is that Aralani and Thrawn have to survive the books because they're in other books. And, and he so, can write a trilogy now, which he right, can do he, before. Right. He can write a full trilogy that tells a whole story. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he'll, um, I'm completely wrong. But I. I have a little more faith that he can maybe make the Grisk into something interesting. If, like I said, we talked about him at the beginning. I have nothing but respect for Timothy Zahn, but there are the Zahn books that I love and there are the Zahn books that I think are okay. This is a Zahn book that I loved. And if this Zahn is going to tell me a trilogy and the Grisk are going to be the, and the Grisk are going to be the bad guys, fine. If it's this Zahn telling me the story. My problem with them in, in Treason and Alliance is I didn't like that Zahn. Those aren't, that's not, to me, high-end Timothy's on, and so the Grisk kind of suffered as well. But if if he writes the Grisk, or if he finds an angle on the Grisk that is as cool or as interesting as his angle on the Chiss, then who knows? You know, which could retroactively make those other books better. Like, yeah, if I understand the Grisk better and kind of why they're, you know, who, what's the new one? Jixtus is, I guess, the new big bad's name. The one of the reasons we don't like the Grisk. It's because of how vague they are. Yeah. And we don't know anything about them. If we learn more about them, then like Ryan said, maybe it'll, you know, maybe he will be fixing past mistakes or he'll be saying, okay, yeah, I introduced these guys, whatever. Here's what they're about. 
Or maybe he doesn't. Maybe he decided that ah, people didn't really respond to the grisk. I'll do something else. But it just feels like it feels too calculated. If if we're going into a, another trilogy of books with the grisk, then we have to eventually at some point lead up to the grisk and Thrawn going into some kind of weird seclusion on a planet to wait for the Empire to find him so that he can talk about the Grisk. Yes, no, we do. And and, and again, I have, I don't know how he's going to get there. I'm yeah. interested to see that, though. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I am too. And OK, I wasn't super excited about this book. One, because I was a little let down by the previous Thrawn books. And two, because I really don't care about the Chiss. Like, I know, you you know, that much. And now I do. <laughs> this is the first time I've cared about any chiss that wasn't thrown. And so, or, or anything about their culture, I've never found it super interesting. Like, it's fine, but I've never found it super duper interesting. Now I, I want an entire, I just want a whole section of Star Wars that just takes place in chiss space. Like, no, when, we... they t- when they talk about moving past the, the, um, the Skywalker saga, see, this to me is what moving past the Skywalker saga looks like is a whole other region that has nothing to... Yes, there's a tangential relationship. And yes, I wish, kind of wish Anakin hadn't showed up in here. Uh, although I, I get it, it made sense. It, more than anything, it was just a way to tether us time-wise. I would love more books, not just, just this, not just this trilogy and not just Thrawn and not just Timothy Zahn, I mean. I, I Kind of like High Republic, like this is a setting that I like. This is a setting that I think is cool that's not our main galaxy. No, I, I feel like we could drag this out into a lot of good books. And I don't want to see it wrapped up in a ni- in a nice little bow that leads directly into Thrawn's on this planet where Eli Vanto finds him. And But we can do that. We, we can, can still do that, do that and still tell stories. Here's the thing. I This book made it where I'd be willing to read a Chiss book that wasn't about Thrawn. Like I'd read, would you read an a book that where Arlani was the main character? Absolutely. I wouldn't have before this, even though I liked no. her in the other books. I wouldn't have before this. This is interesting enough that I I want to hear stories of what's happening in the Ascendancy while Thrawn's with the Empire. Yeah, right? what like, happens when he leaves? When he leaves, like, what is it like afterward? What is Arlani's reaction? How does she how does she deal with her closest friend and ally? vanishing how do we you know and even after he's disappeared in rebels like there's this whole other civilization whose story kind of doesn't influence our main story almost anything you can almost tell any story you want in chess space and have a cool story about it so i don't know to me it opens up this is what i want as far as getting away from the skywalkers general bakif bakif i don't i don't know how to say his name but I like the okay. general who believes in both of them. And I would like to see what they do when Thrawn's not around. Other than just giving me, I think, a really good character, character, or a very good version of Thrawn and these characters, is it gave me a new Star Wars setting that I really liked. I liked all the houses. I want to learn more about them. And I don't think I'll be, maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe at the end of three books, I'll be like, okay, I never want to see a Chiss again. But I don't feel like it, man. I want, I like this world. And we've got a good chunk of time. I mean, I, what, roughly between this book and the first book of the last trilogy, it's what, 16 years maybe? Yeah. 
maybe a little yeah. more than that actually. Well, this book is nineteen. This book is nineteen ABY. Okay. Yeah. So about sorry, sorry BBY. Sorry. Yeah. So um, about what seventeen-ish years. Right. Yeah. Because 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 the Anakin him meeting Anakin I think was near the end of the Clone Wars. Because I think even the little thing at the beginning, or actually, if you look on um, Wikipedia, I even think it says like uh, timeline nineteen BBY. Well, who's who's the uh, the chick who crashed on the planet? Who who crashed on Batu Dorme? It wasn't Dorme. Yeah, yeah. Was it Sabe? Sabe? No, it wasn't Sabe. No, it, it wasn't was Sabe. Like, du, uh, Duja. Duja. Yes, I knew it had a D in it. Yeah, so it wasn't somebody we saw die in the movies. So it happened after. No, but that those events happened during the Clone Wars, mm. right? So I mean, because it's yeah, Padme goes on a mission and gets missing from that was all that stuff from Alliance. That all happened during the Clone Wars. Duja wasn't in anything else. Duja was made up for that look. Yeah, she's um, part of that second wave of senatorial yeah. handmaids, basically. Yeah, du- Duja was only created. I believe Duja did not exist until uh, Thrawn Alliances. Too many and, handmaids. A lot of handmaids, but all the the OG ones are again. Read the Darth Vader comic. Yeah, the OG the OG ones are still out there. Are you caught up on it? I mean, I'm a couple of months behind because of unlimited. Yeah. Have you got to the 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 stuff with them? Yeah, it's the just it's just starting. What are we doing next time? So next time, okay. So this is pretty much the newest Star Wars novel, and we're gonna go back to the oldest almost the oldest star wars novel back in 1975 76 george lucas hired science fiction writer alan dean foster to write the novelization of star wars a new hope that as we talked about i believe in our very on our third episode ended up coming out six months before the movie there's an argument to be made that the birthday of star wars should actually be the day that book was released in 1976 but that book if you look at the cover says it was written by george lucas because he hired alan dean foster to ghostwrite it for him part of the deal was that alan dean foster then got a chance to write the first sequel to star wars so next time we're going to talk about 1978's splinter of the mind's eye a legendary legends book that is maybe one of the weirder Star Wars books you're ever going to read. But again, I haven't read it in 20 years, so maybe it's not. And it's the very first attempt to make a sequel to Star Wars. And we're going to go back. And and we're, my thought was, since we now have all of this Star Wars information in our head and all these things we know about it, I thought it would be fun to go back to Splendor of Mind's Eye, where Foster wrote it knowing practically nothing. If you thought Leia kissing Luke was uncomfortable, get ready for 200 pages. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I mean, it, it is, it just feels it, he's writing it based on one movie in, in the screenplay and no idea what's coming. And it's just a flat out. And it's not even like part of a trilogy or this big saga. It's just, here was this movie called star Wars. And then I'm going to write a book. That's a follow up to it. And it's, it's, it's weird. And it's, uh, kind of, it doesn't feel Star Wars. I, it's it's hard to explain, but I, I just thought it'd be interesting to go back and 
check it out and see how off it probably feels after all these years of Star Wars Legends to uh, to flesh out the universe. So Splinter of the Mind's Eye by Alan Dean Foster. I haven't read it in a long time, but I've got my old uh, paperback here and I'm ready to go. The Further Adventures of Luke Skywalker based on characters and situations created by George Lucas. It doesn't even say Star Wars on the cover. All right. I'm going to go upstairs and make sure my kids don't need their dadish. All right. Well, thanks, guys. And uh, we will talk to you all very, very soon. You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.